Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter five. And while you're turning there, I've got quite a few announcements this morning. So buckle up. We got a lot going on at Coastal. First of all, this Saturday morning at 7 a.m. is our men's breakfast right here at the Gloucester campus. So fellas, I want to see you up bright and early right here this Saturday at 7 a.m. for a delicious breakfast, for some time in the word, for some great fellowship. We'd love to see you this Saturday morning. And ladies, the Women of the Word event at Coastal Yorktown will be on August 27th at 9.30 a.m. So come enjoy fellowship and brunch with other ladies as they sing praises and spend time in the word together. The cost is $10. Childcare is included. You can register at gocoastal.org slash events. We wanted to let you know about two different serve opportunities that are upcoming. First of all is the food mission on August 20th. Uh, it's every third Saturday. It's from 9 to 11 a.m. at Coastal Yorktown. This is a wonderful ministry. We have the privilege of feeding hundreds of people every month. So I'd encourage you guys, if you're looking for a great opportunity to serve, go on down to Yorktown on August 20th, gocoastal.org food for more info. And finally, our ESOL ministry uh, is looking for volunteers. So that's going to start up on August 25th at 615 at Deer Park Fellowship. Volunteer opportunities include teachers, hospitality hosts, van drivers, and childcare. So if you are interested in serving in this wonderful ministry of ESOL, contact Leslie Harris at leslie at gocoastal.org. So like I said, guys, I'm really happy to be here with y'all this morning and have an opportunity to finish the James series with you. Uh, this sermon, I believe, is really important, and this text is really important. It has a lot for us to learn this morning. I do love the irony, though. Uh, for you guys who are familiar with James chapter 5, I love that I get to say that I was too sick to preach on healing. Uh, so, you know, maybe I should have called Brian and Dan and had them come with the oil. You know, if you don't know what that means, you will just keep listening. Um, but I am... I'm really excited. I think this is an important text within the Lord has a lot to teach us this morning in this text. And I want to talk to you this morning from James chapter five about the power of prayer, about the power of prayer. And now that is something as Christians, as believers in the church, we give a lot of lip service to. We say, man, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. We believe in the power of prayer. And we should, because the Bible is crystal clear that God delights to hear and to answer our prayers. But let me tell you, the power of prayer is not something that the culture believes in. It's not something that our world believes in. I remember a couple of years ago, after a national tragedy, I saw this big headline on a newspaper. It said in big, bold letters, God isn't fixing this. And all around it, there was photos of tweets from, from politicians and other people saying, we're praying for this situation. The purpose of that headline was criticizing the idea that we should be praying when a tragedy happens. And in the church, we give lip service to the idea of the power of prayer. But let me ask you and let me ask me a question this morning. Do our schedules reflect that belief? Do our schedules reflect how strongly we truly believe in the power and the effectiveness of prayer? But church, the Bible is clear that God loves to answer prayer and that prayer is powerful. Samuel Chadwick put it this way. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles 
when we pray. Church, prayer is powerful because God is powerful. And prayer is how we communicate with the God of the universe. And James not only talks about the power of prayer in this text, but he gives a specific application of the power of prayer in this text, namely prayer for physical healing. He addresses in this text the idea of praying for healing. And that's something I want to address with you this morning. And as I look around this room, as I see friends and, and I see people that I know, and I know many of you have people, many of you have health conditions, maybe you have friends and family members with serious health conditions. This is not theoretical. This is not abstract. This is not merely head knowledge in this text this morning, what we're studying. This is real because we live in a broken, fallen world and one of the results of living in a sin-cursed, broken world is that these bodies don't function as God originally intended for them to. We get sick. We get injured. We die. That's not the way God intended it. That's a result of the curse of the fall. And in the new creation, all of those things will be done away with. But in the now and not yet that we live in, while we are redeemed by Jesus Christ now, but we are not yet what we will be, what does it look like to live in a sin-cursed world? What does it look like for us to pray for physical healing in this life? I hope to address that with you this morning. So let me give you the main point of this sermon up front. We should pray in all circumstances because prayer is powerful. Church, we should pray in all circumstances because prayer is powerful. And with that in mind, let's take a look at our text together. James chapter five, verses 13 through 18. And just as a footnote, James actually ends in verse 20. I'm skipping verses 19 and 20. I'd encourage you to study them on your own. I just really wanted to focus on this section on prayer together this morning. So let's read this together. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we need the message of this text so desperately. I need it, Lord. I am convicted, Lord, of my own lack of prayer as I read this text, as I meditate on this. Lord, I am convicted of my own lack of faith in prayer as I read this text. And Lord, I know that as a church family, if we are to be the people that you have called us to be, the people that you have made us to be in Christ Jesus, we need to learn how to pray. And we need to learn how to pray in faith and your purposes and in your promises. So Father, would you strengthen us through your word this morning? I pray that your Holy Spirit would come now, clear away any distractions, help us to focus our minds and our hearts on your word this morning and apply the truth of your word to our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. The first thing we see in this text is that we ought to pray always. Just read this last week in 1 Thessalonians. We pray without ceasing. We are to pray in all circumstances. And James gives us both ends of the spectrum in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. 
He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. How should you respond according to James when you are suffering? You should pray. You should go to God. Suffering can tempt us to think that maybe God's not there. Maybe God's not listening. Maybe God doesn't care. But James says it's just the opposite. Our suffering is intended to send us toward God, not away from God. When we suffer, we should pray. We should bring our cares and our concerns to the Lord in prayer. But then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Singing praise really is a form of prayer with music. It is, we are declaring truths about God to God using the beautiful thing called music. But do you notice here, whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, we should do the same thing. We should go to God. If you're suffering, run to God. If you're cheerful, run to God. Because also when we're cheerful, when things are going well, that brings a temptation to neglect God, to forget about him. In all circumstances, we ought to go to God in prayer. And so I wanted to start this sermon on prayer by asking a thought-provoking question to you. In our lives, is prayer more often our first response or our last resort? Is prayer more often our first response to the circumstances of life or is it our last resort? Do we treat prayer as that thing that's encased in glass that we break in case of emergency? Or is it the first thing we do? When you're faced with a difficult decision, is your first instinct, you know what, I need to pray about this. I need to ask the Lord for wisdom about this. When you're facing a trial or a temptation, is your first response, I need to ask God for the strength to endure this. When you're tempted to blow up on your spouse because they got on your nerves, is your first response, Lord, I need to pray for patience and for wisdom to love them well in this moment? Or do we say things like, well, I guess all that's left to do about it is pray. I guess all that's left to do about it is talk to the God of the universe who's in control of all things. Seriously. I mean, imagine it. Think about this for a minute. Imagine if you could pick one human being on this planet that you could have 24-7 around the clock access to knowing that they would hear and they would answer. It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, you could pick a world leader, a politician, whoever you want. You would think what a privilege it is that I have access to this person whenever. Prayer is that times infinity. We get access to God 24-7. He delights to hear our prayers and he answers them. Church, make prayer your first response to the circumstances of life, not your last resort. So first we pray always, but then James elaborates here in this middle section of this text on a specific application of the power of prayer that I want to really probably spend the majority of our sermon discussing this morning. And that is prayer for healing. This is one of the most important passages of scripture related to healing. So let's look at verses 14 and 15 together. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So James is laying out something of a process here that is involved in praying for healing. And I want to unpack this process with you this morning. The first thing he says is call the elders. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. This is so interesting to me. And let me give you a few things that James assumes in this text. 
First of all, he assumes that the believers he is writing to are actively a part of a local church. That is assumed in this text. He assumes that there are elders in a church that they are familiar with that they can call when they are sick, when they're in distress. Again, just to be clear, the New Testament knows nothing of a churchless Christian. We are saved into a family. We are saved into a community. The assumption on James's part is that they are a part of a local church. Second assumption is that the church has elders. Second assumption is that the church has elders. At Coastal, we believe that the biblical model of church government is that a church will be led by a plurality of elders. And I think that's evidenced in this text. It's the elders, plural, of the church. That's why at Coastal, we believe and we have multiple biblically qualified men that we refer to as the elders in the church. And we have elders at our campus, myself, Brian Briggs, who you heard from last week, and Dan Sexton. But he says, in this situation, when you are sick, call the elders of the church. And I believe he says, call the elders because God has entrusted to the elders the role of pastorally caring for people in their weakness, loving and serving and caring for people. And one of the main ways we do that is through the ministry of prayer, is through praying for people. Now he says the elders are to pray. It says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The language suggests here to me that when he says, is anyone among you sick? I don't think he's talking about like a runny nose. I think he's talking about something rather serious. I mean, think about the situation. You can almost envision it. This person calls the elders to come to them. It says praying over him. That almost evokes imagery in my mind of a person who's bedridden almost, like someone who is very sick or someone who is uh, going through a very serious condition here. And he says, call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what's the point about anointing with oil? Well, let me be clear. There's nothing magic about the oil, but rather in scripture, anointing symbolized consecration. It symbolized that we are setting this person apart for some special task. Think about how kings were anointed in the Old Testament, for example, but even in the ministry of Jesus. So in Mark chapter six, it talks about how Jesus healed diseases and anointed with oil. So I think the idea here is that the oil is symbolizing that we are setting this person apart. We are consecrating them. We are asking for God's special blessing of healing in their life. And let me tell you, even though uh, myself, Brian and Dan have only been serving together in this capacity for less than a year now, we've already had the privilege and honor of getting to do this several times. We take James chapter five very seriously. It's not only a responsibility that we have as elders, it is a privilege that we get to come alongside and love people and pray with them in this way. And now I brought a couple of props this morning. Uh, For a long time, I just pulled out of my cabinet because it's all I had. Uh, The great value brand olive oil uh, is what I used. And Dan was actually a little bit embarrassed. He's like, we got to get something nicer than that. So after a while, um, a friend of mine's parents gave me this beautiful anointing oil from Israel, actually. And it smells great. And it's much more pretty than the big old jug of great value brand olive oil. Uh, But the point being... The oil symbolizes that we are setting this person apart for God and we are asking for his special blessing of healing in their life. I also want to point out that he says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why in the name of the Lord? Why does that matter? Because it reminds us that the power to heal is not in us. It's not in the oil, but it's in the Lord. 
that the Lord is the healer, not us, not the oil, not any ritual, not any process, but it is God. The purpose of this is as an expression of faith. We see this in Acts chapter three. So you remember the story in Acts chapter three, when Peter heals the man who is crippled. And this is how the story goes. He says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. In other words, why are you looking at me? I didn't do it. Jesus did it. Listen to verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. So it is anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, because the Lord is the one who does this, not us. So let's continue now in this text in verse 15. He says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. What is this prayer of faith? I believe it's simply what it sounds like. It is a prayer to the Lord for healing that is offered with a heart posture of faith an expectant faith in God's ability and in God's goodness and in God's wisdom. James has already addressed the relationship between prayer and faith earlier in this letter. In James 1.6, this is what he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed in the wind. He's talking about the kind of prayer that God loves to bless, the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. It is a prayer of faith. And you guys know the difference in your heart, don't you? The difference when we're praying with this confident expectation in God's ability and God's goodness. And have you ever, if we're being honest, been praying for something, but in the back of your mind, you're like, eh, this really ain't gonna happen. Just me? There is a difference between a prayer of faith and a prayer that is being driven like a a wave of the sea. But now I also want to be clear here. This prayer of faith doesn't make God into a vending machine. Uh, It's not like we pop in our faith quarters and out pops a can of healing. It's not mechanistic in that way. The prayer of faith takes into account God's purposes. A prayer of faith is in submission to God's sovereignty and to God's will. So a prayer of faith takes the whole of God's purposes into account. So again, to recap here, call the elders. The elders come, they pray, anointing in the name of the Lord, praying in faith. But then it gets kind of weird. I wrestled with this next section of the text quite a bit when I was studying this passage. This was so interesting to me. When it says at the end of verse 15, this, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then the start of verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Hold on, dude. I mean, we're talking about praying for healing for someone who is seriously sick. And now we're talking about sin. Now we're talking about forgiveness of sin and confession of sin. What's going on here? Well, I think we need to take a minute here to talk about the relationship between sickness and sin. Now on on an ultimate sense, on a macro level, if you will, all sickness is the result of sin. What I mean by that is what I already mentioned in the introduction to the sermon, that because of the fall of humanity into sin, our bodies no longer function the way that God intended for them to. And now we get sick and we get injured and we die and things like that. But on an individual personal level, not every sickness is the result of some sin in your life. Every time we get sick, we don't need to wonder, is God punishing me for something? That's not the case. Now, also, just to make it more confusing, the Bible also teaches that God can use physical illnesses as a means of discipline in our lives. 
Are you confused yet? All right, let me give you both of them. Let me give you both of them from scripture. So first of all, sometimes, uh, so sickness is not always the result of sin. John chapter nine, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see what's going on here? His disciples assumed this guy's born blind, so he must have done something to deserve it, or his parents must have done something to deserve it. Jesus said, nope, he was born blind because it was God's purpose for his life to display his glory through him. So it was not the result of some personal sin in his life. But sometimes God uses sickness as a means of discipline. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 regarding the Lord's Supper. This passage says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats, of, eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. In other words, God is using in this circumstance in Corinth, this weakness and illness and even death as a means of discipline in their lives. So what do we do with all of that? I think we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, when we pray for healing, sometimes God uses our physical pain and our physical weakness to point us inward at our spiritual need. Sometimes God uses our physical pain to point us inward at our spiritual need. Maybe some of you know what it's like to have gone through some sort of health crisis and it can bring you to a place of sort of hitting rock bottom and it can show you your need that you have for Christ and it can expose things in your heart from which you need to be healed from, spiritually speaking. Sometimes it is possible that God uses illness in our life as a means of a wake-up call, if you will, or as a means of discipline. But let me caution you really quickly. I know that there are some people in this room who might be more conscientious or have a tender conscience. Please don't begin to think every time you're sick, God must be punishing me for something. If you are in Christ, Jesus already took your punishment on the cross. Amen. There is no more condemnation left for you. Uh, so here's what James is teaching us. Sometimes the physical pain that we're going through is an opportunity for us to look inward and to confess any sin in our life. And so then not only can we be physically healed, but we can be spiritually healed. That's what he's teaching here. So let's park the car. We've walked through James chapter five. We've gotten through verse 15. Let's park the car now. And we're gonna come back to James five. We're gonna finish it. But I wanna take a rabbit trail here. And I want us to talk about a biblical perspective on healing. As we've talked about this text, and as this is such a real issue in our lives, I'd like us at Coastal Gloucester to have some biblical riverbanks on what healing looks like in scripture. What does it mean for us to pray for healing? What do we do when God says no? There's a million things, and this is such a real issue for us. So I think it's really important for us to talk about this together. So let's talk about four things related to a biblical perspective on healing. The first is the ability of God. As we're talking about healing, the first thing we need to mention is the ability of God. Church, God is able to heal. God is all powerful. God can work miracles and he still does today. Christianity is a supernatural faith. 
We live in a culture that is very naturalistic. That means that we always look for a natural explanation for everything. But God is able to heal. At the snap of his fingers, he could heal every disease on this planet right now if he chose to. God is infinitely able to heal. That is so important for us to keep in mind and it should cause us to praise him. When we're praying for healing, we're not begging God to do something that he may or may not be able to do. He is able. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Church, we see this loud and clear in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus healed and he healed often. And why did he do it? He did it to point to the reality of who he was and what he came to accomplish. So the first part of a biblical perspective on healing is the ability of God, that God is able. But next we need to keep in mind the power of prayer, the power of prayer, that God often chooses to work through the prayers of his people and God is glorified through that. God chooses to work through prayer in a powerful way. We see that in James chapter five. God sometimes chooses to answer these prayers with healing to display his power and glory. Jesus put it this way, John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in my son. And in case you weren't paying attention, he repeats himself. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And now to be clear, in my name means according to his will or purposes. If you said a silent prayer right now in Jesus' name for a new BMW to be waiting for you out in the parking lot when you leave, I don't have high hopes for you. Uh, what he's saying here is that when you pray as my representative in this world, when you pray according to my name and my purposes and my will, I'm going to do it. That's awesome. How often are we taking advantage of that? That is incredible. When we pray according to God's will and purposes, when we pray in Jesus's name as his representative, he is going to do it. That's amazing. Church, when we talk about healing, we need to understand that God is able and we need to understand that he works powerfully through prayer. And I know we would be here all afternoon if I started going around this room and asking for testimonies. I would hear story after story after story of times when God works in miraculous ways, when the doctors were baffled and we don't have any other explanation. I know you have those stories. I have them too. God loves to work through prayer. So we need to emphasize the ability of God. We need to understand the power of prayer. But church, we also need to emphasize the sovereignty of God. We need to emphasize the sovereignty of God. When we pray, asking the Lord for healing, we do so in submission to his will, in submission to his purposes, trusting that God knows what he's doing, that God is in control, that God is all powerful, and that we can trust his answer, whatever it is. And church, this is where I have to give us an uncomfortable truth this morning. Sometimes, yes, it is God's will to heal physically in this life. And sometimes it is not. Sometimes it is God's will for us to walk through a season of suffering for his glory. And listen, I have to say that to be clear because there are teachers out there who will tell you it is always God's will to heal in this life. And that leaves us with an uncomfortable conclusion in my mind. Because if that's the case and you pray for healing and the answer is no, the only answer we're left with in my mind is you must have not had enough faith. 
Let me give you a few reasons why I don't think that's the case. First of all, I think scripture is clear that sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer in this life for his glory. First Peter 4.19 says this, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There are many other texts we could point to, but this one's the most on the nose. It's very clear, let those who suffer according to God's will. Sometimes it's God's purpose for us to walk through a season of suffering for his glory. And in those moments, we don't understand why, but we understand that God is good and that he is in control and that he is working it all together for good. But another reason why I don't believe that perspective, that it's always God's will to heal. And if you're not healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith is because it's cruel. It's cruel to tell a person that. Because let me tell you, I have some friends who are walking through some serious chronic health issues who are some of the godliest people I know. Some of the godliest people I know. And could it be, could it be, it's not that they don't have enough faith that they're not healed. It's that their faith is so strong that God gave them this trial to show off how strong their faith really is and to refine their faith. Because let me tell you something, church, it is indeed a miracle when God gives the blessing of physical healing in this life. But it is also a miracle, a supernatural miracle of God's grace when he gives us the strength to endure suffering for his glory. That does not come naturally to us. So church, we pray, acknowledging that God is sovereign acknowledging that he is in control, acknowledging that our lives are in his hands and we pray in submission to his purposes. So we know the ability of God. We know the power of prayer. We know the sovereignty of God. And then lastly, what should our response be? What should our response be? When God says, yes, what do we do? We party. We pray for healing. God says, yes, we celebrate. We praise the Lord and we tell everybody, not just everybody, everybody. It has become a testimony of God's grace and God's power in your life. This is exactly what David did in Psalm 30. He said, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And what did he do? And you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from shale. You restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. We celebrate and we praise God for his grace when he says yes. But church, what do we do when God says no? What do we do when we ask the Lord for healing and his answer is no? We trust in the sufficiency of his grace. We trust in the sufficiency of his grace. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, just to pause here for a moment, we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. There's a lot of speculation, but it wasn't pleasant. You know, whatever it was, it was not pleasant. So much so that Paul says in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What was God's answer? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, 
hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When God says no, we trust that his grace is sufficient for us, that even in the midst of our weakness, he is displaying his power in our lives. But you guys know there's a third answer, don't you? When God says yes, when God says no, but what about when God says wait? That's our least favorite of the three, isn't it? When God says wait, what do we do when God says wait? We cling to his promises while trusting in his word. Psalm 130, my favorite Psalm, it says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. When I went through a dark season in my own life, Psalm 130 was the lighthouse of my soul. It was the one passage that kept me grounded. Let me tell you, when you are suffering and when you are waiting on the Lord, find your lighthouse. Find a passage of scripture that keeps you anchored to God's promises and hold on tight. That was Psalm 130 for me. So let's recap here. What is a biblical perspective on healing? A biblical perspective on healing is that God is able, that prayer is powerful. So we ask in faith, in submission to his will, and we are prepared to respond by giving him the glory no matter what he says. So now we're running back to the car. We don't want it to get towed. Uh, We're back in James chapter five. We're going to finish up James chapter five, and then we're going to close. James gives us one more illustration to remind us that prayer is powerful, to remind us that prayer is powerful in these last few verses. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So in verse 16, he shifts from what the elders of the church are to do to what the whole church is to do. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's showing us this isn't just for the elders. The elders might model it, but this is for the whole church. We all are to confess our sins to one another and we all are to pray for one another. And he uses the illustration of Elijah in verse 17. I love what he says about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know, when we read the Bible, sometimes do we picture these guys like they're the Avengers or something? Like, do we think of Moses and David and Elijah as these sort of spiritual superheroes who are just these heroes of the faith? That ain't the case. There's only one superhero in the Bible. That's Jesus. The rest of them were people just like us. Elijah was just a guy that God used. James tells us a man with a nature like ours. Why do we need to know that? We need to know that because we can be tempted to think, you know what, Pastor Nate, I heard everything you said about the power of the prayer and and about the power and yada, yada, yada. But here's the deal. I'm no Elijah. I'm no elder of the church. You guys are a little bit closer to God's ear than me. That's not true. If you are in Christ, God delights to hear and to answer your prayers. You don't need to be some sort of spiritual superhero to get God's attention. He was a man with a nature like ours, so much so that he prayed for it to quit raining and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed for it to rain, boom, it rains. God worked powerfully through prayer and he does the same in our lives today. 
So let me ask us this question this morning, church. Is this something that is a regular rhythm in our lives? Verse 16. Are we regularly praying for one another? Are we regularly confessing our sins to one another? Is that a regular rhythm in our lives? Somebody tell me, where does that happen at Coastal? Starts with a, uh, rhymes with schmall schmoops. (laughs) Just a hint. Small groups. Thank you. Thank you. Small groups. I'm sorry. I couldn't think of anything better to say. Um, Listen, small groups. Why do you think we talk about small groups all the time? It is the place where we do this. Because listen, there's a lot of people in this room. Are you going to be walking in here confessing your sins to your neighbor that you just sat next to this morning? I mean, you can, it might get awkward. Small groups are the place where we build intimate relationships with other believers in this body that we are then comfortable confessing our sins and struggles to so that we can pray for one another. And according to this text, that's powerful. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working, James tells us. If you're not in a small group, let me tell you, less than a month away is our small group season. Make sure you get in a small group this fall and that you live out James 5, 16 together. But also I would be absolutely remiss if I did not in a sermon on prayer, plug our amazing prayer team and our prayer ministry. Uh, You guys, Harry, why don't you wave at everybody? Right back there, that's Harry Bloomfield. He leads our prayer team here at Coastal Gloucester. This is an amazing ministry. And listen, guys, every ministry in this church is important. Disclaimer, every ministry in this church is important. There's not one that's more important than prayer ministry because there's nothing that's more important than prayer. Our prayer team meets every first and third Thursday here at Coastal Gloucester at 6.30 and all are welcome to come and pray. We would love to have you guys here to come and pray with our prayer team. These guys also come up, you guys know, after the sermon every week and they're available to pray with you about the burdens and the struggles that you come in here with. It's one way that we try to live out James 5.16 here at Coastal. So if you're interested in finding a ministry, you don't have to be some sort of super prayer warrior with these long, elegant prayers. You just have to have a heart that wants to communicate with God and pray for this church family. So we'd love for you to be a part of our prayer ministry here at Coastal. So I wanted to wrap up this morning uh, with a reminder for you all that I think is really important from this text. So in conclusion, we've talked a lot about physical healing this morning. And listen, we should, we can and should pray for healing. I've got a list of people I pray for every morning that I'm asking the Lord to heal them. We can and we should pray for physical healing. And when it happens, it is a wonderful blessing from the Lord. But it is secondary. It is not the ultimate healing that we need. The ultimate healing that we need is spiritual from our sin. It is possible to be physically healed in this life. You're still gonna die. Uh, Spoiler alert, you're still gonna die one day. And if you don't receive the healing that Jesus offers from your sin, you're lost. We need a deeper healing. We need a cleansing from our sins that only the great physician, Jesus Christ, can offer us. Physical healing is a wonderful blessing, but the healing that comes in Christ is something that is far better. And is it possible that God in his grace and in his glory often uses our physical weakness to bring us to that place? I'd like to close by telling you a story about one of my new heroes in the faith. I was always sort of aware of this person, but in the last two weeks, I listened to the autobiography of Johnny Erickson Tata. 
Uh, any of you guys, a couple of you guys are nodding. You're familiar with Johnny and with her story. Uh, I listened to her autobiography on Audible and it was just so moving and powerful. So for those of you who don't know, Johnny, when she was 17 years old, uh, dove headfirst into a river, not realizing it was shallow. And she ended up uh, becoming a quadriplegic. And now I believe it's over 50 years. She has been a quadriplegic. She's been in a wheelchair. Uh, and Johnny, according to her story, suffered greatly as a result of her injury, not just the physical pain. She's dealt with chronic pain. She's had two bouts with cancer. Uh, she also went into a deep, dark depression when she first had her injury, uh, struggled with suicidal thoughts. It, it got really dark and difficult in Johnny's life. She went to the healing crusades. She pleaded with the Lord to heal her and the, the Lord withheld that blessing from her a physical healing. But that's only part of the story. Because if you know the rest of Johnny's story, you know that she's become a best-selling author. You know that autobiography I mentioned has sold 5 million copies. Uh, she has become a world-renowned artist like, using her mouth. Uh, she's a great musician and vocalist. Um, she has, and her evangelistic efforts has led thousands of people to Christ. The Lord has used her in incredible ways. And let me read you this statement that she wrote just a couple of years ago, reflecting on 50 years in her wheelchair. She wrote, I learned that the core of Christ's plan is to rescue us from sin. Our physical aches and pains and broken relationships aren't his ultimate focus. He cares deeply about these things, but they're the symptoms of the chief problem in this fallen world. God's goal is not to make us comfortable. He wants to teach us to hate our transgressions as he grows our love for him. So for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily rising to dying to self and rising with Jesus, dying to self and rising with Jesus, dying to self and rising with Jesus. My goal is to mortify my fleshly desires so I might find myself in Christ. God has been answering my prayer, exposing dark things in my heart, things from which I need to be healed. Does God miraculously heal? Sure, he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It's all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. If I could only have half of that kind of faith, if I could only have half of that kind of faith, she spent 50 years in a wheelchair and then said, oh, blessed that the God has given me this. I believe with all my heart that in the new Jerusalem one day, when I see Johnny <laughs> running around and leaping for joy, she's going to look back on those 50-something years and she's going to say, it's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth comparing. It was a light, momentary affliction compared to the glory of eternity. So friends, physical blessing in this life, physical healing in this life is indeed a blessing. But that's the healing that we ultimately need. The healing in the sickness of our soul, which is sin. And the only one who can do that is Jesus through turning from our sins and trusting in him, we will be eternally healed. And there will come a day when the entire universe and all of us who are in Christ will be healed 
forever. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain. And until that day, let's keep on trusting. Let's keep on praying. Let's keep on clinging to Christ with everything in us. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back now. And we're going to close with prayer. And as we've wrapped up this James series, I hope that it's been as encouraging to you as it has been to me. And it's my hope that we would continue to grow as authentic followers of Jesus Christ each and every day. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. We thank you, Lord, that you are our healer, that you heal us, Lord, both, both physically and emotionally and spiritually according to your will. So God, we love you and we submit our lives to your purposes for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.